Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Jim, and I have the privilege of serving here as the senior pastor of Bethel Christian Fellowship, and I am delighted to be with you here this morning and to bring, have the privilege once again of bringing the word of the Lord to us as a church family. And your prayers make a difference. Your prayers make a difference. Even an arrow prayer (laughs) makes a difference. Just keep that covering because I believe that this is, you know, Isaiah 54 time. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide. Don't hold back. For you will spread out. There will be a, you know, there is a, 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 there's an enlarging and a stretching going on even right now in this house. I want to thank you as a congregation in advance for your words and gifts of appreciation to us as a staff. Um, We're so grateful for that. We could not do what we're doing outside of the oil of grace being poured out over our lives. So thank you. Please pray for us. Pray for our families. With this enlarging, there is an enormous amount of stretching happening in every single one of our families are being stretched substantially right now. And we need your prayers. We need that ongoing encouragement. Thank you. Thank you for those that send emails. I've been getting emails. uh, Got a great email this week. Thank you. Gotten other emails from other folks just with with, um, quotes about dreams and things like that. They're just wonderful. They're so encouraging. Keep, Keep those just coming. They're just like a little breath of fresh air that just goes... All right? Praise God. Thanks for letting me do just a little pastoral heart things here. We are living the dream. (laughs) And we are in the midst of an ongoing series that we began a couple weeks ago, and it's going to take us up through Easter time here. And uh, in the context of this series, we are looking at the life of Joseph. The Bible is very clear that he has given us these words in the Old Testament uh, records are not simply there as dry, dusty pages to be somehow sort of put back onto the, uh, you know, the back shelf of some library some way in, in some historical whatever. You know, these, these have been given to us as examples to us to encourage us, to instruct us, to shape us, to, yes, even transform us. These words that have been given to us are living and active. The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It pierces even to the dividing of soul and marrow. God is, you know, He's after going right into the very heart of our lives in order to bring us into transformation. As Tom said earlier, He loves us way too much to leave us the way we are. And in this time, He is calling and He's increasing our capacity. And we we talked about that last week as we're increasing our capacity to host His presence. There is a... If you're sensing like an increased spiritual um, vitality, um, tension... Um, 
you know, volatility, whatever that is, that's the Lord kind of stretching us out right now in real time because that's His heart. He wants, you know, He's intent on coming back for a bride who is beautified, who is ready to receive Him fully. And so He is at work in us, even working His will among us right now, right here. And what an incredible honor that we have to receive that from Him. All right. If you've got your Bible, which I hope you do, if you do not have a Bible, we have made one available for you. It's located right behind you. In front of you, I should say. I'm looking at you in front and saying right behind you. The rest of you, it's in front of you. Don't be fighting over those now. Okay. Find a Bible and turn to the first book, Genesis, the book of beginnings. And find the 37th chapter of Genesis. Love hearing the rustle of pages. That's a good thing. This is an incredible story, the story of Joseph. I mean, it's just so beautifully written. It just comes alive right off of the page. This morning, our... The title for our message is Destroyers of the Dream. Now his brothers had gone to graze their flocks, father's flocks near Shechem, and Israel said to Joseph, As you know, your brothers are grazing the flocks near Shechem. Come, I'm going to send you to them. Very well, he replied. I'm in verse 14 now of Genesis 37. So he said to him, go and see if all is well with your brothers and with the flocks and bring word back to me. Then he sent him off from the valley of Hebron. When Joseph arrived at Shechem, a man found him wandering around in the fields and asked him, what are you looking for? He replied, I'm looking for my brothers. Can you tell me where they are grazing their flocks? Well, they've moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we'll see what comes of his dreams. When Reuben heard this, Reuben being the oldest, he tried to rescue him from their hands. Let's not take his life, he said. Don't shed any blood. We'll just throw him into this cistern here in the desert instead, but don't lay a hand on him. Reuben said this to rescue him from them and take him back to his father. So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the richly ornamented robe he was wearing, and they took him and threw him into the cistern. And now the cistern was empty and there was no water in it. And as they sat down to eat their meal, they looked up and saw a caravan of Ishmaelites coming from Gilead. Their camels were loaded with spices, balm and myrrh, and they were on their way to take them down to Egypt. And Judah said to his brothers, Well, what will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, 
He is our brother, our own flesh and blood. His brothers agreed. So when the Midianite merchants came by, his brothers pulled Joseph up out of the cistern and sold him for 20 shekels of silver to the Ishmaelites who took him to Egypt. When Reuben returned to the cistern and saw that Joseph was not there, he tore his clothes and went back to his brothers and said, The boy isn't here. Where can I turn now? Then they got Joseph's robe, slaughtered a goat, dipped the robe in blood, took the ornamented robe back to their father and said, We found this. Examine it to see whether it is your son's robe. And he recognized it and said, It is my son's robe. Some ferocious animal has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes, put on sackcloth, and mourned for his son. Many days. All of his sons and daughters came to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. No, he said, In mourning will I go down to the grave to my son. So his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard. All right. We're going to take this incredible story that we have and I want to take and use it as a jumping off place here to talk about destroyers of the dream. Now here's how we've been defining this dream. A dream is a high and holy ideal. It's an aspiration towards a particular goal, a compelling plan that we want to accomplish, a course which we are passionate about, a call to a particular kind or place of service, or a vision of what we want to accomplish in that service. So we're not talking about daydreams. We're not talking about sort of wishful thoughts. We're talking about, again, something that has substance, something that is transformative in our lives, something that is contagious, something that is actually life-giving. These are the kinds of dreams. We're talking about the thoughts and purposes of God for our lives. We've used that scripture several times, Jeremiah 29, for I know the thoughts, the plans, the inventions that I have for you. God has these creative thoughts for your life, purpose and destiny and calling that He has given to you. Now here's what we need to understand. Is that when we begin to live out God's kingdom dreams, we will find ourselves engaging our enemy's kingdom. And the enemy will do all that it can to destroy both a kingdom dream and a kingdom dreamer. Let me just say this kind of in addition to this. This was just something that was bubbling up in my spirit this morning. Is that the larger that kingdom dream is that God has placed in your heart, the more tempering of time and testing through trials will need to happen in order for that dream 
to actually come into fruition. God had given to Joseph a large dream. Think of Abraham. Think of Moses. Think of almost anybody you can think of in Scripture. The larger that dream was, the more tempering and testing had to happen in order for that dream to actually come into fruition. Nobody's saying amen. (laughs) Nobody wants to hear that news. (laughs) Oh yeah. But that's reality. And the more you press out into the dream that God has given to you, the more that is going to bring you into conflict with the destroyers of the dream. So roll the tape back about ten minutes to why prayer covering is needed. So the question we want to ask this morning is, who are the destroyers of the dream? Who are the destroyers of the dream? All right, glad you asked. The first of three that we're going to look at this morning is simply the flesh. Now, Paul writing in Galatians 5, 16, and 17 sort of gives an encapsulation. You can find a a further expansion of this if you go to Romans chapter 7 and 8. But here kind of Paul encapsulates an understanding and a teaching and instruction about what the flesh is. He says, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Did you get that? You are not to do whatever you want. You are not to do whatever you want. Russ Dobler, who was an elder here at Bethel and, a, and, and on staff and now a pastor, and the, I was dialoguing with him about this on Friday. We were talking about this because he's been doing lots of study and research and he's teaching the Book of Romans right now at Northwestern College. And so I was... I was kind of getting some, and, and so this was just a in-conversation definition that he gave for the flesh, but it was really helpful. The flesh is the corrupted desires of our human nature. It is the nature within us that leans towards the desires of the soul and body, which have been tainted by sin, selfishness, and rebellion. That's where there's a, there's a, a, a disposition with us, there's this tension and conflict that goes on between those desires the corrupted desires that part of our, 
our, our body and our soul that are in conflict with our spirit and the spirit of God within us. And so there's this tension that is constantly unfolding within us. And oftentimes the tension, hear this carefully, the tension is often around things that are actually good gifts from God. That those become the places that are most contested in our lives. How many of you know that food's a good thing? I'm glad for food, okay? Because we wouldn't be able to live without it. All right? But it can become a temptation in our lives. And our desires of our body and flesh and soul, if we are not to do whatever we want, if we do whatever we want, sometimes whatever we want leads us to gluttony. All right, now here's a great question to ask on a Sunday morning. How many of you think that sex is a good gift from God? Okay? I, okay, I got my hand up. All right? I see some with two hands up. Okay, yeah. All right. They're voting twice. All right? It's a good gift from God. It's a beautiful, precious thing that He has given to us. The corrupted desires of the flesh take this good gift from God and distort it and twist it and misshape it. You know, I've been a pastor a long time, so I have the opportunity to pastor young men as they're walking through sometimes the struggles of this. And, you know, there's a, you know, it's, it's, Sometimes there's this this desire among young men, if the Lord would just take away the desire from me, and I'm like, no. That's really not what you want to be asking for. Okay? That's not what you're asking for. You're asking for the Lord to consume you with a greater, higher, holy desire and to give you self-discipline as a grace from Him to help you channel that appropriately until such time as you're able to express it in the context of marriage. That's when there is that opportunity. It's true with... um, Now here, listen to me carefully. This is true with good things like ministry. God, do you see how many good things I'm doing for you? There's the first problem. Like anything else, even doing good things like ministry can become addictive. It it can become a place... Where it becomes that is when it becomes a place where I'm beginning to get my self sort of image and my soul fed by other people's acclamation of what I do. Where I subtly get people depending on me. I'm being really honest here. This is 
This is where it works out, people. The flesh is not always just those, you know, the big ones that you think of. It's really subtle. It's constantly drawing and working on your soul, in your body. How was that working to destroy? What ways was the the flesh working to destroy Joseph's dream? Through his pride and immaturity. Look at me. I got to, you know, I mean, we read it through last week, the the first 11 verses of Genesis 37. Joseph received some incredible dreams from the Lord outlining who he's going to be. What an, what, what an opportunity for the enemy of the flesh to come in and say, you know, you really are better than your brothers and your parents. You really are, you really are something special. Look at you in your robe. It just shows how special you are. His immaturity, I mean, sometimes, I mean, you know, I always say there's a couple things that you can't get at the altar. You can't get experience and you can't get maturity. Those take the tempering of time and the testing of trials. I mean, Joseph simply needed to grow up. But in his immaturity, there were ways in which the enemy could find his way in, the enemy of the flesh could find its way in to distort the purposes of God in his life. Sometimes say this, and listen to me, this is important. When we don't know what we don't know, we're in trouble. Joseph just didn't know what he didn't know yet. And it isn't an accusation, it's just a reality. The posture that needs to come then is one of humility that says, Oh God, there's so much I don't know. Help me know what I don't know. Then there's the world. Now is the time for judgment on this world, Jesus said. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. This is, that is why the world hates you. Jesus again saying that. John, who wrote those first two, the Apostle John, says this, Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Now, how do we put that in context? Because doesn't John 3.16 say, For God so loved the world? He does. He loves the world. He loves the people of the world. He loves His creation and all that He has made. He loves the world. But when we're talking here, and when Jesus uses the world here, He's using it in a very particular way. When the Apostle John talks about the love of the world, He's talking about something specific. Here's a definition I ran across many, many years ago by Mark Bubeck. I think it's a helpful definition. 
The world is the order or system which runs this inhabited earth. The world in its function is a composite expression of the depravity of man, the intrigue of Satan's rule, combining in opposition to the sovereign rule of God. It is the corruption like it is in the flesh. It's the corruption of the systems around us. There are lots and lots of systems around us. There's lots of systemic things going on around us. And all of those are part and function as a part of what is called here, we're calling the world. In America, the world tells you that you are going to be satisfied just as soon as you get a bit more stuff. And if you'll just get this and have minty fresh breath, you are going to be on top of the world. The world system that we live in tells you that you are completely independent, that you are a rock, you are an island, you don't need anyone and no one needs you, and you can, you know, and and if you will just pull your bootstraps, yourself up by your bootstraps, as it says in Second Hesitations, you, too, can achieve the American dream. That's the world system. The world system is all around you continuously Seeking not only to inform, the world system is seeking to transform you into its own image, which is why Romans 12 says, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That's why we need to saturate ourselves in Scripture, because we need to remind ourselves what's true. You're getting so much stuff coming at you. There are so many messages, subliminal and non-subliminal. I mean, you know, you're just getting crushed with information coming at you. Somewhere you need something returning you and reorienting you back to that which is true. Now, what did, when we're talking about in what way did the world work to destroy Joseph's dream... Anybody got a, a quick idea about that? What do you think? It, what, where, how do you think that got expressed? What was the when we're talking about the world here? What was trying to destroy Joseph? What? His brothers, his family, his family system. I mean that that too. I mean it's another system. It's another organ. You know, and and in this case, it was a system that was working against Joseph. I mean, we could go back into Jacob. I mean, Jacob is like the poster child for the passive father. The passive daddy. The brothers, I mean, he's not, you know, I mean, he doesn't see at all what's going on. He's just way out clueless. There's the brothers and their jealousy. I mean, there's so much, there's so much there. If we unpacked it all, we'd be here a very long time this morning. But I just need us to understand. I want to I want you to get at this fact that there is things that will seek 
to destroy the dream in your life. There's our flesh and there's the world system around us. The world system is not kind to dreamers. Even the religious, I mean, sometimes the world system is in the form of religion. There are systems right now that are seeking to destroy Christianity. There's, there, there's yeah. <laughs> it's going on right here, real life, right now. There are more martyrs in our century than any other century. Amen. This world system. All right? Getting this? It was a world system that sought to destroy Jesus. Not just a Jewish religious system, a Roman system. There was all kinds of, you know, there was all kinds of stuff. Didn't win, but thought they had. And the devil. These are the three that down through the ages have come to us through Scripture and as the great women and men of God down through the ages have searched the scriptures, they have said these are the three primary destroyers of dreams. These are the primary enemies that you and I face. There's flesh, our corrupted nature, which leans towards our wants and desires, which are in opposition, sometimes sin and rebellion, brokenness against God. There is the world system, the systems around us. It's a multi-layered thing, which is which is made up of people, it's because it's people. (laughs) Duh. (laughs) You know? Why is our political system broken? Well, there's people involved. Human beings. And then there's the devil. Satan, the enemy. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in His mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, listen carefully, please. Satan is not an uncreated being like God, only opposite in nature. God and Satan are not locked in some sort of epic battle where we're not sure who's going to win because Satan is the equal and opposite of God. That's just not true. C.S. Lewis put it, Satan, the leader and dictator of devils, is the opposite, not of God, but of Michael, the archangel. However, we do need to know this, that Satan and his minions are wicked, they are powerful, they are cunning, and they are organized. And they have primarily a twofold strategy, intimidate through opposition and insinuation through temptation. So intimidation and insinuation. Opposition and temptation. That's how the enemy works against the God-given dreams that are unfolding in our lives. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. All right? So, it's important to know 
what those strategies are. So in what way did the devil work to destroy Joseph's dream? I think the answer is through both opposition and temptation. Next week you're going to see one of those when we take a look at the seducers of the dream. You're going to see that. And and already we see the direct opposition happening. I mean, think about this. I mean, Joseph's brothers, there was, certainly there was flesh at work. Certainly there was a worldly system, but there had to be a voice with, here's here's the picture in the desert. Get this. Joseph is a 17-year-old kid. Somebody, who's 17? Somebody 17? We've got a 17-year-old boy. Okay, 17-year-old girl's good. That's good. All right, so think of this. We got Katrina, we got Alicia, and I mean, they're lovely. Okay, very nice girls. All right? But imagine, you know, that your siblings, you got to get the picture here of the cistern in the desert. It's this, it's this, you know, great hollowed out place to catch water. Happened to be that this one was dry, but it comes up, it's sort of like a big, with a, a, a small lip on top. I mean, not this small, but, you know, a, a lip on top, big enough for sure to Joseph to get in. But it was big, it was hollowed on the bottom, and then you could put a rock on top, all right? And later on in, in Genesis, we find out that while they're sitting around, the brothers put him down into the cistern, and then, you know, they break out the Coke and Oreos, and they're sitting around having lunch together, And it tells us later in Genesis, it says that while they were eating, Joseph was screaming to be free. Well, they sit around and eat their crackers and cheese. There's something inhuman about that. Well, it is inhuman. That's the devil. who takes those fleshly desires, who takes those world systems that are corrupted and broken and amplifies them. It's like putting them in an amplifier and blows them up large. We don't like our brother. Well, no, not, not, no. I think you hate him. Ah, you don't just hate him. You really need to destroy him. Why don't you kill him? Maybe not. Oh, we'll do we'll do the humane thing. We'll just we'll just sell them into slavery instead. That's the enemy. He uses opposition and temptation, and he will do that. I mean, I can't tell you how many frontal assaults I've gotten in my life, and how many times trying to come in through the you know if he can't get you this way, just read scripture, story after story. If he doesn't get you this way, he'll try to get you this way. All right, well, let's get some good news. Let's talk about overcoming the destroyers. Because the good news is, like the choir was singing about, you know, the test isn't the end of the story. The destroyers don't get the last word. Hallelujah! The destroyers do not get the last word. 
I love this psalm, Psalm 20. Love it, the whole psalm, but 6 to 8. Now this I know, the Lord gives victory to his anointed. He answers him from his heavenly sanctuary with the victorious power of his right hand. Some trust in chariots, some in horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. They are brought to their knees and fall, but we rise up and stand firm. There's a word for you this morning. If the destroyers of the dream are circling the wagons around you, the word of the Lord is to trust in Him and then rise up and stand firm. Come on. Two things that will help us overcome the destroyers. The first is when we learn humility and dependence on God. We need to learn humility and dependence on God. On His grace, on His power. Let me give you some scriptures. Listen to this. This is the overcoming of the flesh. You, however, that would be me. Say me. (laughs) Are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit. If indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. But if we do belong to Christ, the Spirit of God is in us. Yes, they are at war. There's a conflict going on between the Spirit and the flesh. But guess who gets to win when we choose to submit ourselves to the Spirit? The Spirit wins. You are in the realm of the Spirit. we got feet in two kingdoms and that's why it's so awkward. The kingdom of God is greater. Light overcomes darkness. Life overcomes death. Hope overcomes despair. Peace overcomes fear. Come on. Love overcomes lust. May I never boast in the cross, the Apostle Paul says. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The world has been crucified to us because of the cross of Jesus. See, the world threw everything it could at him. It really did kill the dreamer, but that wasn't the end of the story. Because there's an empty tomb says he rose, victorious, breaking the power of sin and death. 
Mm-hmm. So there is overcoming. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. This is speaking now of those spiritual forces, the minions of the enemy. You, when those minions of the enemy are coming at you and surrounding you and their voices are chattering in your ears, you just remind them that greater is he that is in me than the one, the prince of the world, that God is greater. They are not equal and opposite, but that God alone is sovereign. The enemy does not get the last word. Because greater is he. And like the old preacher used to say, love this. And when the enemy tries to remind you of your past, you just go ahead and remind him of his future. So how many of you know he'll whisper, he'll say, Ah, but do you remember? Well, God has chosen not to remember that any longer. But he did remind me of what's coming for you. The second thing that will help us overcome the destroyers is to learn. We have to be educated into this. It takes a while to get it to us. We need to learn that for every pit of the destroyers, God has a caravan on the way. God's got a caravan on the way. Why was Joseph Joseph sold in slavery to Egypt? Part of God's plan. He wanted his people down in Egypt for a few hundred years. Why? Wasn't Canaan the promised land? Yeah, but... Canaan was filled with all kinds of warring tribes. And at this time, there was only a handful of Israelites. While small, the other tribes would have left them alone, but God was going to grow them. And that would have alarmed those tribes who would have wiped them out. God's plan was to take them to a place where they could live peacefully and securely and grow into a large nation. They also needed to be set apart. Set apart, separate from other pagan nations. If the Canaanites had let them stay there peacefully, they would have ended up absorbing them. But the Egyptians, because they were proud and exclusive, didn't associate with those foreigners. And they were also very educated and advanced. In Egypt were the tools necessary to shape a Moses who would write the books of the law. Now that teenager in the pit, watching his dreams go down the drain, didn't know all about that. The rough desert Bedouins plodding across the countryside on their camels didn't know all of this. Those hateful, cruel brothers gleefully taking their share of the silver pieces didn't know it either. A heartbroken father looking at the blood-stained robe of his beloved son didn't know this. But God did. And one day, Joseph was going to be able to say, Genesis 45, 8, it was not you who sent me here, but God. 
That's what you and I need to hold on to when we are in the pit of the destroyers. Remember, God has got a caravan on the way. For we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him who have been called according to His purpose. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through Him the Amen is spoken to by us to the glory of God. It is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set His seal of ownership on us, and put His Spirit in our hearts as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. I guarantee you that pit is not the end of the story. I guarantee it. Because that's not where the story ends in God. That's not where the dream ends. When we submit ourselves to Him under His hand, He's the deliverer. I think somebody needed to hear that this morning. I know I did. (laughs) And saturate, we've been studying the Psalms right now. Psalms are a great place to encourage your heart in the Lord. You know, remember in Ziklag, David had all kinds of, you know, and it says he encouraged his heart in the Lord, encouraged his soul. Sometimes you just got to encourage your soul in the Lord. And, and, and last Wednesday night at our life group, and I heard one of the other life groups had done this a couple of weeks ago. I don't know, last week we started singing all of the, in, in the section of Psalms we were in, all the Psalms we could think of based on those Psalms. We just started singing them. That's great. Man, there's a lot, you know, that just, yeah. You're just saturating yourself in the Scripture. So, I got a psalm that we're going to close, a a psalm song. It's right out of the Psalms. Hear my cry, O Lord. Attend unto my prayer. From the ends of the earth will I cry out to you. For when my heart is overwhelmed, lead me to the rock that is higher than I am. So, I'm going to open up the altar this morning. We're going to stand up, make it easy for people to get out. Can you just bring it down for just a second? Just so I can instruct. Sorry. Um, I'm going to invite anybody who's part of prayer teams, kind of part of the intercessory prayer flow of the congregation, um, leaders, life group leaders, elders, ministry coordinators I'm just going to open this altar up for those of you that this morning need to cry out to the Lord because your flesh the world around you the enemy is trying to destroy but today you've heard a word from the Lord and that you can overcome And you just want to come to a deeper place of surrender and submission to Him. That's when my heart is overwhelmed. Lead me to the rock. Lead me to that surrendered place. Where I'm trusting in God's grace and power. And you need to just know, you need Jesus with skin on today to just remind you, somebody to come alongside and pray with you. So I'm going to ask you, if you have need, I'm going to ask you to step out and... You can start stepping out right now if you just want to come. 
And then I'm going to ask quickly, I'm not going to beg for leaders to come. I'm going to expect that you're just going to step out and start coming. Fine, pray, ask the Lord who you should be stepping and praying with. But there's a word here for some people this morning. Do not leave without allowing this to just penetrate now into your soul. So come on, there's a lot more of you that I think need, desire somewhere in your heart. You're maybe wrestling but just come, not trying to manipulate you, but I just, I, I really sense that God wants to bring some freedom and deliverance today, some healing in some places, some hope, some help, some comfort, some strength, things that you need. So come, stand, come, come, come. We're going to keep, we're going to sing this and then I'm going to give a benediction in a moment, but I'd like us to all sing this corporately and Just come if you have need this morning. Don't hesitate. Step out. The Lord is here and His people are here to stand with you in agreement. Come on. Hear my cry. Hallelujah. We're just going to keep this very, very worshipful right now. We want to protect what God is doing right now, but I want to give a prayer of benediction so that those that may need to be released are able to be released. And so I'm just uh, going to pray that prayer. If you want to open your hands right now, you're out in the congregation to receive the blessing of the Lord Jesus. Thank you so much for your word, which is true. Your word, which is life. Lord, thank you, God. That you have been a shield around us, a high tower. You've been a savior and a deliverer and a healer and a friend. And Jesus, right now, right here, in this house, we once again submit ourselves and surrender even more deeply and fully to you today. We surrender to you, Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords. And now I pray that you'd be filled with the immeasurable love of God the Father, with the irresistible mercy and grace of Jesus Christ the Son, with the inexhaustible strength power, comfort, and hope of the Holy Spirit be with you and yours. As you go from this house to your house, sent with the banner of His favor over your life, may His blessing rest upon you this day. May His goodness and grace chase you down till we gather again in, either in this house or our eternal home. I bless you, people of God. In Jesus' name. Amen.